place of our own, and we're just grateful to the Lord for that. But as we are preparing to enter into that place, we've been talking about what the church quite literally is, what the church actually is. And so last time we were, we were together, um, we talked about what the church is and what my individual purpose is here. But now we want to talk about what the church is and what our collective purpose is um, as the church of God. And so we want to understand um, what that means for us collectively and what the Lord is actually expecting of us. Now, um, over the years, maybe even over the last several decades, I think what the purpose of the church is has changed. And that's really me putting it nicely, all right? When the church was first established, we read about it in Acts, it was not established to be this place where people came to be served. It was not about what could be done for themselves, but it was about what had been done through Jesus Christ and as a result, what they could now do for others. Now, what we saw in the uh, initial beginnings of the church was that that actually led to the growth and multiplication of the church because as people grew externally, they served and cared about people externally as well. Now, the great threat to the church is when we actually, as the believers of God, start to treat the church and the building the same way we treat our house. And the way we treat our house is we go in, we lock our doors, and we shut ourselves out from the rest of the world, and that's our last little place of comfort. And we only let people in when we're ready to let people in. And that's actually what threatens and kills the church as a whole, whether it's the local church or the universal church. When we start to treat this as our little home where we only let invited guests in, the place where we go in and we're reminded of all the things that still belong to us. But see, there is nothing about the church that was established in the beginning that meant for the church to be self-serving. Now, listen, y'all, Brandon Knight is not a stupid man, all right? He realizes this goes against all the narratives of what you're going to hear in a lot of different churches. No, God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be prosperous. He wants you to do well. But the whole mission of the church has always been God has done something immaculate through Jesus Christ in my life. And in return, I want to see that happen for everybody else. That's always been the mission of the church. But where we mess up is when we take that mission and we invert it so that the gospel now only serves us. In order for us to understand how to know our purpose We have to look through the actual word of God and understand that God knows where we go wrong and he's given us truths and example of mistakes so we don't make them ourselves. And so today we're going to look at a very interesting text, one that you're actually familiar with, but I bet you probably never thought about it in the context of the church. And that's Genesis 11. That's Genesis chapter 11. There is something amazing that we learn from this passage that I think is going to help us understand what our purpose is collectively as the body of Christ. So go with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 11. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they said, and they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. 
Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to the cedar city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over all the face of the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, his name was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to share in your word. God, please give us what we need to learn from this word to realize how dangerous it is for us to bend inside ourselves, to seek ourselves and our comfort as the church, but how you have commanded us to show outwardly what you've already done for us inwardly and not the reverse, God. Help us see that with clarity and help us not repeat the mistakes of the people we see here in our scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the first thing that we need to understand when we read this text is the why. It's sinful. I think we can all probably even agree. Yeah, that probably is sinful. But we need to understand why this is sinful. Now, let's think back. I know y'all know it, but let's just let's just replay it in our minds. What was God's main commandment to Adam and Eve in terms of each other? Be fruitful and multiply. Now, if you're like me and my wife, we have probably perfected that commandment just about as well as anybody. But those are the two most famous words that they get. But what do they actually mean and why did God command it? And what does any of this have to do with us being the church and God's purpose for us as the church? Well, if you don't get anything else, I do want you to get this. God is more glorified in our differences than he is in our sameness. God is more glorified in our differences than he is our sameness. Now, that doesn't mean that God is not glorified in the fact that we are the same, but it does mean that he is more glorified when different people can come together and serve him. Now, this is the mistake that the people here who are building this tower made. They saw this as an opportunity to build a name for themselves rather than build a name for God. Now, if you want to boil this down pretty, pretty quickly, let me just tell you about all of us. Every single one of us in this room will either build for ourselves a name or we're going to build God's name up. There ain't no in between. All right. So what happens here? Well, the people of the earth could have used that sameness of language that they had, those similarities they had, and they could have taken that as an opportunity and say, you know what, we're going to govern the world amicably and peacefully because we have something unique here. We all speak the same language. There's nothing that can get lost in translation. But they don't. They use it as a means to leverage and control by gathering as many of those like-minded people together so they could rule all the other peoples of the earth. Now, I do want you to think about this. This is important for you to think about. And 
For, your, for those of you who don't know, my undergrad degree is in history. So I have a point of reference here. Almost every major evil in the world that involved any people group always promised this. They always promised sameness. They always promised uniformity. They always promised solidarity. Whether it is the people building this tower or King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel who says, you all must bow to me at the same time, speak the same language. Whether it is Hitler with Nazi Germany or Jim Jones or mid-century racism, it all stressed that those of us who are the same should band together and be glorified in our sameness. Now, why is that? Because it's the actual first point of our sermon today. Because diversity is the biggest threat to the power of sameness. Diversity is the biggest threat to the power of sameness. Look at what they said. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves unless we be dispersed over the face of the earth. Whenever you can gather together a people of like mind, like beliefs, like habits, like appearances, culture, ethnicity, and economy, then you are effectively reducing power to a singular and particular people group. Now, that group then restricts power and resources exclusively to and for themselves, and they give to the people outside that group as they decide. This is actually, there is actually a governmental term for this, but I'm not going to use it because I'm not going to get political, but it does exist. But they don't just do that. They then bend the moral code so that they can be the ones who decide what is right and what is wrong, what is moral and what is immoral, and deciding who and to to share their power with. See, y'all, God knows our sinful being. And so his instructions to creation is that we should not be like this. Do not go around in your life looking for all the people who remind you of you and befriend only those people. Because what you're going to realize is that whether that is in church or out of the church, you are establishing for yourself a ceiling that none of those people can break through. Because y'all all talk alike. Y'all all think alike. Y'all all lived in the same neighborhood. Y'all all worked in the same region. Everything about you is alike, so there is no diversity of influence in your life. But that is especially sinful when it comes to the church. Why is that sinful? Because in one way, it is an attempt to have the power and autonomy of God. There was a boy at school who was growing tired of him and his friends who were I mean, we'll describe them as athletically challenged, okay? And they were getting tired of being overlooked because every time it was time for them to select players of different sports, they would always select the more athletic people. And so finally, after months of this happening, the boy goes to the PE teacher and says, hey, can, can we be the ones who pick the, the people in the game or the sports today? And she said, yeah, I don't care. And so when it was time to pick, he did exactly what you think he would do. He only picked all of his other friends who were athletically challenged, and so now the others were left out. See, our bend towards sin is that 
we would much rather be around people who are like us than people who are different than us. And therefore, we would much rather be empowered in that group versus being around people who are different than us. And that is our same struggle even today as believers. We tend to group together as it best suits us. Now, when we start to think about things like differences and diversity, the first place people go is race. They automatically assume you're talking about race, but there is more diversity than just race. Do y'all know the first place in the Bible that we see diversity? It's in creation. It's in Genesis. We see it when God created the animals. He created birds. He created animals that walk on all fours, some that creep. He creates some that swim. But even within those birds, there are different species of them. There are some that can fly. There are some that can't. There are some that eat plants, some that eat bugs, some that eat meat, some that wake during the day. Some of them go to sleep during the day. Some of them wake up during the night. Animals that walk. Some live in hot climates. Some live in cold climates. There are some that climb. There are some that burrow. Some that lay eggs and some that give natural birth. God created the world with all these different kinds of animals and creatures with differences to show us something about who he is. But he doesn't just stop there. Look at all the diversity between Adam and Eve. Now, I know you probably have never thought about this, but what is the, di- the biggest difference between Adam and Eve? One's a man, and the other is a woman. And I could actually close the book there, because in a world that wants to wash away those differences, those differences still exist, amen? He's a man, she's a woman. They're different. They're anatomically different. If any of you have been married, they're emotionally different. They're even culturally different. How could the two first humans be so different? Because God did not create Adam and Eve to just assimilate to one another. In fact, the problem that happens when she disobeys what God had instructed, when he was supposed to use what God had given him and not assimilate, he became a yes man. God creates us with differences because in some sort of way, we are complementing each other, right? In some way, I'm going to be weak, but I need somebody else to be strong in that area. In some ways, I'm going to be strong in an area and somebody else is going to be weak. God gifts us so that we can serve one another. What happened to the people in the Tower of Babel? Same thing that happened with Adam and Eve. They were willing to assimilate together to be sameness of mind because it would give them power. Adam and Eve wanted power to be like God. These said, we want to be more powerful than all the other peoples. So let us get all together the people who look, talk, think just like us. Let us make a name for ourselves. And they even admit it, y'all. They say, because if we don't, we're going to get scattered. In other words, our power will be challenged if we diversify. Now, what have many churches done? We tend to, in the name of being big, 
large, popular churches to only pursue people that exist in our world. We tend to worship in a way that is relevant to our world. We don't sing them kind of songs in my church. We don't talk like that in my church. We don't have them kind of folks like that in my church. We intentionally only appeal to people that will make our church popular. There's actually a book written about this. It's called The Dangers of Being an Attractional Church. Not only is this unbiblical, but it is anti-gospel. Our job as the church is not to wash away our culture. But that's actually what the world does. They're washing the differences away. Turn on the news. Turn on CNN. What does the world say? There's no difference between a man and a woman. There's no difference between this and that. But there are differences. And to wash those differences away is to negate the fact that God created us differently. It's to say, no, God is only glorified when we are just alike. But it's not true. God created us differently and it glorifies him when we can all still have those differences yet worship the same God. Our purpose as a church is not to only set the example of this, but to cultivate it. Now, how does that happen? It happens through believers. Through the body of Christ seeking out community that is beyond their cultural context. In the world, they will see the example of what sin does to culture. See, when it comes to culture in the world, they can only idolize it. And so it destroys culture. It fractures it. It pits people against one another. That's where hatred and racism and classism and all the other isms come alive is in the world. But see, we should be unique as the body of Christ. We should be able to say as a body, but you can be a part of this universal community where we're all different yet come together and we are so different than what the world says culture is. It brings us to our second point. God did not create us to be God. God ain't created us to be God. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they would do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building that city. Now, we read the Bible, people. It is always important for us to understand how the writers wrote and why they wrote the way they wrote. When the writer here says that God came down to see the city, please understand that God did not literally come down to see the city. But what he's trying to get us to see is that even in their attempt to touch God, he still had to come down in order to see what they were building. Yes, it was their desire to reach him, but they ain't got enough to reach God. They thought that if they could keep people single-minded with the sameness of culture, then they could reach up to God. But you see, that's where they made the mistake. That's where we all make our mistake. 
Let me just tell you, God is not impressed. I'm just talking about the church. I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about the church. God is not impressed with our big services. He ain't impressed with our large accounts. He ain't impressed with who you connected to. He don't even care about your popularity because none of those stuff is going to touch God. In reality, we do need God to come down because we can never go up. The truth is, though, he did come down. That's what should help us know why we gather. We don't gather here just to say we do this on Sunday. God came down to us in the form of Jesus. He came down and his purpose was to be the sacrifice for our sins, which, by the way, I can't speak for yours, but mine were bountiful. That is why we gather. What does Jesus say to Peter when he says that he is the son of God? He says, I will build my church on this rock and nothing from hell or in hell will prevail against it. Our purpose of the church is to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ in the world. We are living out the purpose of the gospel so that people who would know Jesus and who he is. Now, what stops us from doing that? What hinders that? We forget our purpose. The church forgets why it exists. We think that church is about our comfort. We think church is about our culture. We think church is about what we like. But that's not the case. Our purpose as the church is to bring the Jesus that came down and tabernacled with us so that everybody else can see him. And I want you to know how that happens and how Jesus undoes what happens at Babel. With them, God comes down and he sees them glorifying their sameness and he diversifies their language. But at Pentecost, they all came together on one accord. And though diverse, he gave them the sameness of language. See, what God shows us is that his church, this new body of believers, though diverse, though culturally and ethnically unique, are made one only by him. So we become, as the church, something that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. A community of people that is bonded together over one central figure, and that figure is Jesus Christ. Which means it don't matter who your mama is. It don't matter who your daddy is. It doesn't matter where your bloodline came from. We all now have a new bloodline. When we share our faith, when we share it knowing that we are not the sovereigns in anyone else's life, that we can't save anybody, that salvation, though, will be because of the power and working of God himself. Y'all, God did not create us to be him and reach up to him. He created us to represent him as he came down and lived with us. And the humility of our service to God is found 
in the humility of our Savior. Finally, God dispersed us for his glory. God dispersed us for his glory. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now, if you don't really understand the complexities of this, I'm going to try to make this make sense, but you still may not get it because I don't really always get it. But when you consider that all of these people who got dispersed would eventually become all the people that represented all the nations of the world. They became the warring peoples who fought and had disputes with one another. It does stand to reason, if you're a rational person like me, to say, well, God, wouldn't it have just been easier to keep them all in one place? Wouldn't it have just been easier to save them all in one place just like that? Well, let's think about it. What would be said of God if he only created everyone the same and then called all those people together? If we say that we have all been created in the image of God, then that is because there are so many dynamic characteristics and attributes of who he is. But I can tell you something else. God, in his wisdom, in his sovereignty, and in his providence, was working a plan of salvation together for the whole world because he knew when he was dispersing and scattering these people, he had a man named Paul in his mind. And he knew that he was going to save Paul on the road to Damascus. And then he knew when Paul got saved, he was going to throw that man in prison, in a Roman prison where he had the smell of sewer running through. And he knew when he put that man in prison that the only way he could communicate with the churches would be by writing letters to the churches. And he knew by writing those letters, those letters will form the 13 epistles that make up the New Testament. And he knew by doing that, that that would spread the gospel from one central place in the world to the rest of the world. God is glorified in dispersing us all over the world because he can still bring us together. He is the glue that holds us all together. Because I don't know about you, but I can't wait to the day when I get to heaven and it's going to be folks I ain't never seen with features I ain't never heard about. And we all going to come together, different dialects, different backgrounds, different experiences, worshiping one God. He makes us his chosen people. Not to be homogenous, but to be a royal priesthood called to represent him in the earth. Listen, it honors God when similar people come together, make disciples, worship together. I'm not saying it doesn't. It absolutely honors God when we do that. But I am here to tell you that it honors him even more when people who would normally have no reason to be together come together with only one thing in common, and that's Jesus. And our purpose is to tell the whole world about a blessed Savior who can save black, he can save white, he can save male, he can save female, he can save gay, he can save straight. 
He can save fornicators, and he can save drug addicts. He can save to the utmost. He can save. And we, we are all his witnesses. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word. God, we thank you that at the core of what the church is, the epitome of what the church is, you have created us all so different. You've created us all individually with different ration, rationalities and different ways that we think and reason. But God, you cannot still wash us all together in your blood and make us your body. Lord God, it is, it is easy for us to, to only know and gather with and love and talk to and befriend people who are like us, but that's not what you've called the church to be. You've called us to be a diverse body of believers who are not just looking for opportunities to serve ourselves, but to serve you, to meet the needs of the people around us, to bring to them the gospel that saved us. Lord, it's easy for us to go through the motions. It's easy for us to just say, oh, yeah, I go to church. But God, help us have the mindset that we don't just go to church, but we, we are the church. Lord, if there is anybody in this room, anybody watching today who heard about a Savior coming down and dwelling with us, who's taking away our sins. It's like, I don't know what any of that is talking about. God, I pray this is the day that they realize, oh, wait, I'm a sinner. From my birth until now, I have sinned against a holy God, and I want to be right with him. But there's nothing that we can do on our own. Our salvation, God, is a product of, of you giving us the saving grace and faith that we need to believe, to turn from our sins and to seek after you. So, Lord, I pray if there's anybody here, if there's anybody watching who doesn't know who you are, God, that you would open their heart, open their eyes, open their ears today, God, to the truth. And wherever they are, God, you are the God who accepts us not just as we are, but you don't let us stay the way we are. And we thank you for that. But we thank you for the word. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.